0: Again, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. How you doing? Good, good. One of you is great. Awesome. Hey, grab your Bibles, open them up. Jonah chapter 4, that's where we are uh, today. We're actually going to finish our series up this morning, and uh, I wanted to remind you of a challenge that we put out at the beginning of this series. It's actually a challenge we put out at the beginning of the new year. Do you guys remember what it was? Anybody? The one person challenge, that's right. And so so the one person challenge is, I challenged uh, everyone, which, whoops, included me, right? I, I challenged every one of us, okay, share your love for Jesus with one person this year. Not ten people, not five people, one person by the end of the year. Just, this is why you love the Lord. This is why you love Jesus. And so hopefully you guys have uh, remembered that. Uh, I know some of you have already been working on that way to go, but continue to pray that God would just put that person in your life. He would open up those opportunities and just give you the joy of the Lord to share how great he is with someone else. Just want to remind you of that challenge since we're so early in the year. One of our elders, Dale, is going to have our scripture reading uh, this morning.
1: We're going to start with the last verse in chapter 3. When God saw what they did... How they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. In chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city now the lord god appointed a plant and made it come up over jonah that he might be that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort so jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant but when dawn came the next day to be angry angry enough to die and the lord said you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night and should i not should not i pity nineveh the great city in which there are more than 120000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle that's the word of the Lord.
0: Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word uh, to us. Um, we thank you that you are a gracious and compassionate God. God, I ask that you would open our hearts today. To hear you speaking to us as a church, as your people, and that you would help us listen. We love you. Amen. When was the last time you heard one of these phrases, what goes around, comes around? You heard that lately? Uh, How about this one? Um, The chickens have come home to roost. Uh, you sleep with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. You heard that one? Although they are just expressions, they really do cut to the heart of human expectations on how lo- we think life should operate. We, we generally have this innate belief that uh, what happens in our day-to-day life should be just. It, it, things should be fair uh, for things to operate properly. Uh, If we do bad things, we should get bad results. If we do good things, we should get rewarded, we should get results. This is generally how we think. And in general, that kind of thinking pretty much works, right? Things pretty much operate that way. But what happens when you are undeniably, you're the best on the team, and you get ranked third or fourth maybe? Uh, what happens when you put in the most hours at work, but someone else gets the recognition and the raise? What happens when uh, everyone else is enjoying the snow in a warm, cozy house, and you've been out without power for four days and their lights are on? Why are my lights not on? What happens when that happens? I'll tell you what happens. We get angry, right? Can we just be honest? We get real angry when that happens I mean don't we really just want to shout at somebody that's not fair that's just not fair that's not right for that to happen well you know what guys it is one thing when life's not fair but it's a little different when God's not fair isn't it what about when God in his sovereignty has distributed gifts And get this, blessings to our enemies. What about when that happens? Well, that can take us to a whole different level of anger, can it not? Amen. Amen. See, here's what we're going to find in the text today in Jonah chapter 4. To be angry about God's grace will destroy us if it is left untreated. To be angry about God's grace will destroy us if it is left untreated. And what is so great about our God is that God is not willing to lose even one of us. Isn't that wonderful? God actually wants us to understand his compassion for the lost so that our communion with him will be even sweeter and even deeper. This is our God. You see, this morning, we're going to look at how God helps us understand his compassion for the lost. And he does this by revealing that our anger is less noble than we think it is. Our anger is less noble than we think it is. Before God can help us care about what he cares about, God has to address our anger. And what, how he does this with Jonah is that he asks him a very simple But it's a very bothersome question in verse 4. Dale just read it. God asks, do you do well to be angry? He asks it twice in the chapter. He asks it on the front end, and then he kind of circles back around and asks it again at the end. Do you do well to be angry? What, What God is doing is he's getting Jonah to analyze his anger, as it were. Jonah feels supremely justified supremely justified in just how angry he is about God's grace. And he needs to question that anger just a wee little bit. And you know what? So do we. So do we. We need to analyze our target of our anger. We need to analyze our target. Check this out in verses 2 through 4 in the text. And, th- and then he prayed. Jonah prayed to the Lord. And he said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country. This is why I made haste. This is why I was quick. This is why I was quick to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, hmm, do you do well to be angry? Jonah lists off a well-known formula for the character of God. He's kind of paraphrasing this formula. that's found in Exodus and in the Psalms, and it's all over the Bible. He, he's, he's talking about God's mercy, his love, his patience, his graciousness, his long-suffering. That's a phrase we don't use much anymore. I love that phrase. God's long-suffering. These are all characteristics of God that we normally praise God for. Amen? And we, just, we sing songs about it. You're great. You're loving. And it's forever. We just think about it. These are good characteristics for anyone to have, but especially a person like God to have who is so powerful. And Jonah uses them as a rebuke against God. Did you catch that? I knew it. I knew you were going to be like that. You're always like that. <laughs> Jonah has become so consumed by his anger, both towards his enemies and towards God, that the very essence of who God is no longer is a comfort to him. It ticks him off. He is angry about who God is. You see, the sweet things about God have become characteristics. That he hates. I hate that you're so compassionate, God, to people. And that has severely strained his relationship with God, so much so that he is willing to walk away from God to the point of asking him to die. Just kill me. Your compassion on my enemies is killing me. I can't stand to be with you anymore. So let's push the pause button just a second on Jonah. I'm kind of getting a little rough, I know, on Jonah. But consider ourselves. What what can we do when we find ourselves struggling with this kind of blinding anger? What do you think? Well, I think Jonah shows us that we need to analyze the target of our anger. A good, a good place to start is just by simply asking us this, this one question. When we find ourselves angry, who am I really angry at? Now, I know who, who I say I'm angry, but who am I really angry at right here, right now? You know, many times we are not merely angry at a person or at a people group. I mean, that's what we might say. We, we claim to be angry at who they are or what they are doing, But many times we're really angry at God and who he is. We need to look at that. We think to ourselves, I don't know, maybe you haven't, but I have. God, how could you let them live? How could you let them do that and live? I don't understand that. I'm angry at you about that, God. God, why do you let them stay in power? Why they gotta be my boss? Why do you continue to let them have a microphone? They're influencing people. Why don't you shut that microphone down? Why are you letting that go on? Why do you let them get away with these things? Why do you continue to let them bother me? I obey you. I follow you. And you won't punish them. I feel like I'm getting punished. I hate you for that. I'm angry about that. Don't we think this way in our hearts? Guys, we've got to recognize the one that we're really angry at before we can walk forward in God's peace and understand his compassion. God's confronting us with this in his word. If you're angry with God, I plead with you, you need to take that up with God first before you take that up with that other person. Jesus said something kind of like that, didn't he? Take the log (laughs) out of your own eye. And then you'll see more clearly, take the speck out of your brother's eye. Our anger is less noble than we first thought. We need to, we need to analyze our temperature as well, of our anger. Analyze our temperature. Uh, the last verse of chapter 3, and then we'll go to verse 1. When God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil way, they repented. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Verse 1, but it displeased Jonah a little bit. <laughs> no. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. It's almost like the writer's like an emphatic. Right? There comes a point when our anger morphs into quiet, smoldering coals of malice, brothers and sisters. In this verse, in verse 1, the Hebrew literally says, but to Jonah, it was a calamity, a great evil. The English has kind of softened it a little bit. But to Jonah, it was a great calamity, a great evil what God did. Jonah saw the salvation of his enemies not as a victory for God who is compassionate, but as a disaster and an act of evil on God's part. You didn't bring disaster on my enemies. That is a disaster. That's a calamity, God. And by the way, the word that's used here for anger means to burn with anger or to be inflamed with with anger. It's like a raging fire that's on the inside of us, just it's just growing. It's just eating away at something. Jonah is not merely angry on principle, though he claims that he is. Jonah's anger has devolved into a full-blown hot malice towards his enemies and towards the God who dared show grace to them. We talked about last week that if the Ninevites, they're pretty wicked people. The Ninevites, if they had a creed, it would be fear no man, show no mercy, right? Yet that's exactly what Jonah is displaying here, is he not? But even more so, he didn't fear God, and he wants God to show them no mercy. Jonah wants them to burn like he's burning. He wants them to feel it. Guys, look at me. Look right up here. Malice does not desire justice. Malice desires destruction. And we need to get that right. Malice doesn't desire justice. Malice desires destruction. When we embrace malice in our heart, we are completely out of step With the nature and character of our God. And by the way, we are in danger of being destroyed by it ourselves, right? Is Jonah not in danger of being destroyed? I'm so angry, I could die. I'd rather die. He's got just destructive thoughts, right? It's a big deal. Guys, we live in a society that does not know how to live among people with deep differences. Have you noticed that? Malice has become normalized. It's normal now. Writing malicious things about our opponent is normal now. Saying malicious things about people that we don't really like or agree with, that's normal now. It's almost expected. We don't want to engage our opponent. We want to discredit them and to destroy them so that they will shut up and be quiet. Why? Why is that? Could it be that our anger has morphed into malice? Just asking the question. And could that be... Because we no longer see them as made in the image of God, bearing his likeness. That's actually part of God's argument in the plant that he created. It's an argument from creation. It's the imago dei, that he's a creator in their creation. Jonah cares about a plant that he didn't create, and he didn't work to sustain. How much more should God have the right to care about the animals and the humans that he created, which are far more valuable? Jonah's malice has blinded him to the fact that God has the right to care for all that he creates. God has the right to care for all that he creates, particularly those that are made in his own image and likeness. They may not know it yet, but that doesn't matter. They're still made in his image and likeness. Brothers and sisters, listen, we cannot follow the pattern of the world. We gotta be transformed we cannot follow this pattern that would teach us that we need to seek the destruction of our opponents as Christians. We must lead the way. We must be countercultural and go a new way and lead the world. We've we, we got to do this by believing what it says in James, chapter one, verse 20. "For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God." The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It produces something, but not the righteousness of God in the world. We must be a church that engages opponents in a very winsome and attractive way. Do you know what that means? That means able to argue while you're smiling with them. Because the world says those Christians, they're against us and they want to destroy us. And we're not. We're against them in some ways, because we're for them. We're for them. We must not be shrill or malicious, even though they may be malicious to us. We must be different. Amen? We must be different. It matters. We must show by our actions and our word and our tone to the world, that we do not seek their destruction like they think, but rather we seek their salvation. We want them to be saved and be reconciled to the God. And that starts by believing that our opponents have value simply by the fact that they're made in the image and likeness of their Creator. That is part of what it means to be pro life. We're for their life. They're made in the image of God. If we cannot cleanse our hearts of malice, guess what, guys? Our witness to an unbelieving world will be destroyed. We'll be destroyed along with it. We've got to get this right. We've got to have that kind of culture. Our anger is less noble than we think when we analyze our inconsistency as well. Look at verse 6 here. This is interesting. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him, to save him. What was the purpose of the plant? To save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. God miraculously causes a plant to shade Jonah from the scorching sun, the hot wind. Most scholars think that it was a vine of some sort, or I think in the King James it calls it a gourd so it's some kind of a vine that grew up. Uh, the vine is a great blessing to Jonah. It brings him so much comfort, and Jonah's very happy about it. In fact, he's deliriously happy, okay? He wants to write a song about the vine. He's so happy. He's standing out the shed. Oh my, it's like, and it's, by the way, it's the only, thing, the only time he's ever been happy in the book. Did you notice that? He's been pretty much like really mad since verse 1. And he's, uh, he's just excited. He wants to celebrate this vine, But his happiness doesn't last long because the plant doesn't last long. When God destroys the plant, Jonah gets angry about it. He's back to getting angry again. Look at verse 9 through 11 here. Very interesting. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. (laughs) And the Lord said, you pity the plant. That word literally means you have compassion for the plant. You have compassion for that plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up at being into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity? Should I not have compassion? For Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left hand, oh, and also many cattle. He cares about the animals and the people in this place, all that he's created. In an act of kindness, God removes his blessing from Jonah to help him see just how inconsistent his anger about God's grace really is. The vine is an illustration for Jonah and for us to help us see this fact. God uses the death of the plant to basically say, okay, Jonah, all right, you're talking to me again? Great, let's talk. Let me see if I get this straight. <laughs> you pity, and you, you have the right for you to care about a plant that you didn't create, and you didn't sustain it, but it's wrong for me to care about 120,000 people that I did create and I do sustain their life to this very day. Am I am I getting that right? That logic right? Do do you see the problem here, Crossley? Jonah's upset that a vine died. <laughs> He's really angry that a vine died. This is the first time in the whole narrative that Jonah shows any compassion towards any living thing, by the way. And it's a vine. It's a vine. It's a vine. (laughs) I don't even care about vines. God wants to show compassion not just to a vine, but a huge city full of people. And through this vine, he's giving Jonah a chance to see just how ignoble and inconsistent his anger really is. It's just not that noble of anger. But let me rephrase for us what God is asking. God simply saying, so, so here's the deal. It's good for me to show you grace with something that's simple like shade. It's good for me to show you grace through something simple like shade, right? But, but it's wrong for me To show somebody else grace with something more profound like life? You see, what it really comes down to is that we are all for God being gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from sending disaster when we need it. Right? That's me when we blow it, when we need it. And when we're on the hook, we'll just bask all day in God's cool, shady forgiveness and comfort, right? But we don't want God to be that way to our enemies. Well, they don't deserve it. They deserve God to be a God of justice. Do you see what's underneath this? Do you see what's underneath the anger, brothers and sisters? I'm trying to kind of pull this up to the surface a little bit. We want God to be our God of grace, not their God of grace. We want to own God. We want to put our little brand and our little mark on God. And he's our God and he's not your God. And God says, no, you don't put my brand on, your brand on me. I put my brand on you. I circumcise you and your heart. You don't circumcise me in my heart. I'm the Lord of all. God looks at us, and he says, really? Really? Do you do well to be angry? Come on, let's talk. You see, we will not understand God's compassion for the lost until we see that our anger is really less noble than we think that it is. But we also need to see something else that's critical. It's really important, too. We must see that God's compassion is more generous than we realize. I'm afraid that we also may be at a place where we're just not stunned by grace anymore. Jonah's rage is so intense and instantly relatable that it's easy to overlook something that's very important. God's unbelievable restraint. (laughs) Did you notice that? It's probably hard to see past the fuming smoke of the anger, right? God is unbelievably restrained to Jonah. Jonah is talking to God as if he's an equal or something. Like he's his peer or something. He's just tearing into his creator, He's rebuking God? Are you kidding me? This is incredible. In, in this particular scene, God is w- willingly absorbs the condemnation and the hot fire that Jonah blasts him with, and he responds with just a gentle question. Just a question. Jonah goes off on a tirade, and God responds not with a ten times a tirade. Just, just a question. You do well to be angry? Just asking a question. Wow. In fact, God has been showing a disobedient and unhappy Jonah compassion and restraint throughout the entire book, right from verse 1. God provided a storm to pursue Jonah. God provides a fish to save Jonah from dying and freezing to death in the sea. God actually decides to hear the prayers of Jonah from inside the fish and saves Jonah from the fish. God hears his prayers, but more than that, God saves him from his enemies when he sends them into enemy lines and gives him great success at his job. Jonah has been quick to be angry against God. Remember what he said? This is why I was quick to flee. This is why I was in a hurry to flee. Jonah has been nothing but quick to be angry to God, and God has been nothing but be slow to be angry at Jonah through the whole book from start, middle, to finish. This is a picture of how generous God is with us, with His grace, family. God does not ration out His grace in little teaspoon increments to us. He pours it out in 50-gallon drums. He's not afraid of wasting it like we are. In this final chapter here, God gives even more grace to a servant. He provides a plant. He provides a vine to save his servant, Jonah. And get this, through the life of the vine, Jonah is saved from the burning heat. And through the death of the vine, he is saved. Through the death of the vine, Jonah is restored to God from his destructive anger. It isn't until the vine dies that Jonah starts talking to God again. Did you notice that? First time he asked a question, he just, I'm going to go sit on that hillside with my bowl of popcorn, and maybe you'll just burn him anyway to see what might happen. Remember? He won't engage God. He won't engage him until the vine dies. And that was an act of God saving him too. Come back into relationship with me, son. And get this. Jonah didn't do anything to deserve it. Not a thing. Guys, we have received the same grace as Jonah, but infinitely more so. Do you remember in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am the true vine? I am the true vine the true and better vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Remember him saying that? You see, through the life of Jesus, our true and better vine, we were saved. We were saved from the scorching heat of God's strict, fair justice. And through his destruction, the destruction and death of Jesus, we were restored to God as well. We were restored in a relationship with him through the blood of Jesus. Jesus. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's the good news. The gospel says that God has provided far more than a plant for our salvation. God has provided generously and miraculously through a true and better vine, his very own son, who loves you and I, not just to shade us for a tough day, but to shelter us from destruction for all eternity. Wow, that is amazing. And get this, if that wasn't cool enough, he didn't do it for the deserving. He did it for the decidedly undeserving. He did it for you, and he did it for me. You see, when we were being destroyed by our own anger and our self-righteousness against our enemies, God did not let us go on into destruction and just let us burn. He was not willing to lose us. God showed us compassion and he rescued us at the cost of his own son. And guys, when we see just exactly how compassionate God has been towards us, it helps us understand why God wants to be compassionate to the lost and even our enemies. And may that be so of Crossway. May that be so of us. I love you guys. Can I pray for you? I'm gonna pray for you. Hmm. Oh Jesus, Jesus. Lord, precious Jesus, we love you, our true and better vine. Shading us so thoroughly and forever and ever and ever. Thank you. Thank you for letting the Father cut you down so we wouldn't get cut down. Thank you for how much you loved us and how much compassion you showed on us. God, I pray that the gospel would get inside of us and it start moving the furniture around in our heart and what we really want and what we want the most. It would change our wants. It would change our desires. It would change us. Lord, let, let your compassion seep into us, not just so we feel good, but so that we might be able to do good to others. Lord, God, I pray that you would open us up to the lost. You'd, you'd start with me. Open me up to people that they think differently and believe differently than we do. And, and Lord, that we would seek their salvation that we would pity them even as you pitied us. We'd have compassion on them even as you had compassion on us. So Lord, would you do that now through your word, by faith, and in grace. In the name of Jesus we pray,
1: amen.